Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. Labor Day has officially begun. Yes, sir. Yes, it has. It's Labor Day, man. It's Labor Day, man. Come on. You know, this is a big-time game amongst the cities, and, uh, and enjoy it and make the most of it. That's right. Another edition of The Waggle, edition number 307, if you're counting at home. A big one because it is okay tire labor day weekend in the cfl the best weekend other than great cup weekend but before we look ahead i'm done in a minute i'm joined by enoch wamba we are bringing this to you by the cfl and cfl.ca uh i think we should look back because it was a big week in the cfl in terms of great games the double blue got a dub so Enoch is here, you know, probably you know lacking on sleep because he has three children, but uh, high on life as they're back in win column. But also massive news at the quarterback uh, position. So we'll, we will break it down with the quarterback of the defense, uh, Enoch Wamba. I, I think we have to we have to start with Bo. Uh, Bo knows that he's going to be holding clipboard for a minute right now. Uh, because we, we, we've talked about the quarterback situation on and off, you know, in different scenarios where will they make a change, won't they? And, you know, I, I wasn't sure if at all the spots we would see an early hook to Bo because he's, he's an OG, two-time Grey Cup champion, two-time MOP. Uh, in the year in 2018, which is not that long ago, when he won an MOP, 35 touchdowns in 14 interceptions. but since then, he's thrown 38 tees and 30 interceptions. And historically, it may go down that Enoch's Argos defense kicked him up out the club. Uh, and now they've turned the page for now. Uh, and the, there is a new mayor, Jake Mayers, in Calgary. Forget about the X's and O's. Just the actual realization that mid-season on a team with great cup aspirations they removed a future Canadian football hall of famer uh Bula Levi Mitchell your response to that when you heard that news was what um I was shocked uh you remember last episode DB what I was saying was that like, there's no way that Dickinson coach Dickinson would go into the next game and not start his hall of future hall of famer quarterback Bo Levi Mitchell and I didn't think that anybody in the locker room would doubt his capabilities and his ability to bring his his team back and rally his team back. Everybody has a bad game every once in a while. And so that was my thought process. So absolute shock when I did hear the news. As a matter of fact, DB, I even didn't even believe. I thought it was a, 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 a scheme or a thought process that, that Dickinson was trying to use to get um, – his opponents to think that Bo Levi wasn't going to play, but in reality, he didn't start. And so to me, it's, it's an interesting point that we reached where Dickinson and Huff Nagel and the rest of the coaching staff have been comfortable with pulling a future Hall of Famer in Bo Levi Mitchell. Now, look, that comes with a lot of different things, right? Uh, I think there was also a statement that Bo Levi Mitchell um, you know, personally put out there through his Instagram. One of his uh, my teammates also showed me, you know, stating that he's supporting uh, the mayor, you know, his backup um, at quarterback, and he's going to do what's best for the team. But what begs the question is, what 
will happen going forward? Will he be content? Will he be, will he be satisfied being the backup for the foreseeable future? It's a hard question to answer right now. And so far, so good as far as the, you know, hey, I'm going to hold the clipboard and I'm going to support it and I'm going to cheer my teams on. But the Bo Levi that I know, DB, is a guy that wants to play. And um, I don't know how long it's going to last, but to me, if I were if I were a betting man, um, it's not going to last long and something has got to give um, in the next few weeks, whether it's him getting back on the field or um, him being vocal about being moved somewhere else, which that's a whole nother topic for maybe even another day, but I can go on forever. But it's hard to move a guy like a Bo Levi Mitchell who has had his whole career there. Family is there. I mean, he's, you know, given so much of himself to the community. So for him to make a decision to decide to choose to want to go elsewhere is probably going to be a huge one as well. But hey, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's got to count their days in the football world. And I'm sure he knows that, you know, at some point or another, his day, his last day is going to come and uh, he's got to choose to to decide, okay, am I going to last and stay here in Calgary for the rest of my career, even though, or even if it is as a backup. So that's a decision that Bolivar, only Bolivar can make. And it's going to be interesting to see going forward um, in the next few weeks here. Yeah, to me, this entire situation is fascinating for many uh, reasons. I agreed with you. I didn't think that they were going to pull Bull up. Uh, Bo at this point, they're staying in Calgary, uh, you know, was, or sorry, they're staying in Guelph. Uh, so, you know, it's not like they were going back to Calgary. I thought they were just continue the way things were. They're actually, you know, Bo played well uh, in two games against Winnipeg and they actually had a bunch of drops. And if he didn't, they, they'd probably win one, if not both of those games. And so I thought this is an opponent, you know, that, that he had shown he'd played well against. But I think, you know, this shows me that this wasn't just one game. This just wasn't a couple bad decisions against your defense. This was something that they've been looking at for a while because, you know, Bo has deteriorated for a little while. His first career been a mid-60s completion percentage guy. That's where he's been at. This year, he's 61.3, which, again, it's not the end of the world, but the average game per attempt is 7.7 yards. Bo at his best is someone who's pushing the ball down the field. You know, no risk it, no biscuit. Sometimes to his detriment, lost a great cup because he wasn't patient enough. He pushed a little too far down the field. Now his yards, uh, you know, average yards per attempt lowest in his career. When you look at his last two years, 19 TDs, 19 INTs. To me, if you're a veteran QB, I, I can't allow you to turn the football over. That's the thing that you shouldn't be doing at that point. Maybe you're not making the explosive plays in the same way, but but you got to keep our offense on schedule. You got to keep our offense off the field and our defense off the field. And so when you're getting those INTs and those mistakes, um, you know, that's a problem for a veteran. And here is to me, because, you know, I, I love, uh, you know, messiness. Here's the most fascinating part of it. And part of it is, you know, just human nature. Remember this offseason. Levi Mitchell renegotiated his deal. Took, you know, the, the, not the PA. The contract wasn't, wasn't uh, you know, uh, sent to my home. But <laughs> took, you know, if you believe reports, around 100K less. I don't care how much money you make. 100K is real. 100K less so that Jake Mayer can be paid up a little bit more so they have a backup because Winnipeg has shown you need two, sometimes three QBs to get through a year. Bo has had some health issues in the past. 
we need our QB room to be strong to give us an opportunity to compete for a great cup. Well, guess what? Our QB room is super strong, so much so that guess what? You're sitting in the second chair in that room. You're not holding the clicker with the OC anymore. And so that dynamic as well, you would know better than me as a person. You don't want to count anybody else's money. But, you know, sometimes finances dictate, you know, the mood in a locker room or a, or a positional room. Um, you know, that part of it is fascinating in terms of what what Calgary does with their QB resources moving forward and what the dynamic is um, in that room. Um, but, but this is a guy, let's not forget, he's got the best winning percentage in CFL history. He's 90-25-2. But when you look at his numbers this year, completion percentage, as I said, 61.3. 18th passing yards, uh, 2010, 6th, TDs, uh, 9th, 7th, INTs, he's at 6th, um, you know, you know that, that's 8th. Those are not Bo Levi Mitchell type numbers. So we got a guy all. behind him who's 25, who's, you know, only started four games, but essentially in the first three, he threw for over 300. And then this one, 294, you have to kind of see what you have in, in, in Jake Mayer. John Huffnagel and Coach Dickinson are good at what they do. You look at the history, and the guys even before Bo Levi Mitchell, at some point, all of those guys who, you know, are, have all been revered in, in this league and loved for years and have been dominant while they were at the helm with the, with the, with the Stampeders, were all at one point had to be pulled and replaced by somebody else who did a great job going forward. And I'm wondering now if John Huffnagel is thinking, well, look, Henry Burris was here, Drew Tate at some point, right? Um, even you, 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 even Coach Dickinson was one of those guys. But all of these guys had an end to their amazing careers. And I'm wondering right now if they're thinking that the Bo Levi of old is just that just a bully vibe of old, and they're flipping the page on Mr. Mitchell. And so it's going to be interesting to see going forward. And the fact that they had pretty much the same result against Winnipeg that they had with Boliva at the helm leads me to believe that maybe that's the direction or that at least the inclination that they are having right now, thinking that they want to go with Meyer and they want to develop him and give him all the uh, the. Uh, opportunities that he can to, you know, make the mistakes that he needs to in order to grow into the hopefully future Hall of Famer that he could potentially be. And so um, that is definitely a question and a conversation, I'm sure, that has happened multiple times way before the call to Pro Bowl Levi uh, occurred. You know, it's interesting. Bo Levi Mitchell shows up in Calgary and that staff says, hey, Brad Sinopoli, I like you. You're doing some great things you're going to go play receiver or you're not going to be here because this guy hasn't been here very long, but he's real. Jake Mayer shows up in Calgary. And when, when Bo went down with an injury, he'd been there for a couple weeks, two weeks. And that staff says, Hey, Michael O'Connor, I know on the depth chart, we listed you as second. Hey, guess what? You're still yeah. second. Jake Mayer is going from three to one and he, and he's going to start. And when you look at what he's done coming in for Bo, um, you know, he's led them to, uh, you know, multiple game winning drives, um, you know, subbing in for Bo this season, wasn't able to get it done as Winnipeg has the comeback win. But in a weird way, there, there are no, you know, uh, moral victories, but a weird way, if you're Calgary, you lose to Winnipeg by two, you controlled 
for me, most of the game, Malik Henry looks like all of a sudden uh, with Jake Mayer, he's real and could be your one. You're, you're Calgary. You're coming out of that game saying, we got swept by Winnipeg. Season sweep. You know, uh, first time we've been swept um, by a team since you know 1987. But I actually feel good about Jake Mayer and this team and us being the team who can push Winnipeg, you know, potentially coming out of the West. I, it, I know we're not talking about Winnipeg at all. We, we've given them our flowers for three months now. I think <laughs> if you're Calgary, you actually feel really good about that game, that quarterback situation um, with, with Jake Mayer moving forward. No, Is absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and again, to me, it's a way bigger decision than it is than than people may think. It's not just about today. To me, they're thinking about the future, and they would have they would rather have another loss to Winnipeg. And to your point, they would rather have another loss to Winnipeg under Jake Meyer than under Bo Levi Mitchell. Why? Because the dividends that it's going to give back through Jake Meyer is so much better and longer lasting than it would with Bo Levi Mitchell. Just because of that experience is so crucial and important for him to have going forward because, hey, not not far from now, we're going to be talking about teams jockeying jockeying for position into the playoffs and the last tail of the season and getting into the, the, the playoffs. And so as soon as you get to those high-pressure games, you're going to have to have these games at least under your belt that you can look back and say, hey, look, I've been in this situation before. It didn't work out because I didn't do such and such, and I can change that now. And so I think that they're thinking for the future, and they're allowing Jake Meyer to make these mistakes now and hopefully surprise them and win these games that perhaps, you know, a lot of people counted them out of. Well, life comes at you fast in the CFL. To start the season last year, uh, you know, abbreviated season, uh, Michael O'Connor and, and Jake Mayer were backing up Bo Levi Mitchell. This week, both of those guys started. Bo <laughs> Levi Mitchell did not. Well, we'll see uh, who continues to start as we uh, march our way to the Great Cup. And this week, we've got obviously Labor Day weekend. Um, there may have been some people calling for a different start, or at least some different options quarterback in Toronto. I was one of those people. And there's some reports that we were going to see a little bit more Chad Kelly. Uh, but uh, your Toronto Argonauts figure out a way to win uh, against your rivals uh, in Hamilton at home. The only team to have the same starting quarterback from week one all throughout the year in terms of now we're at Labor Day, which uh, to me is like turning the page for the stretch run of the season, is the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, Nick Beth has been that guy the entire time. But this one was about the defense. Peters with three picks and a house call. Uh, now uh, with Yargo's, you know, 2-1 up on the season series, you, know, you control, you know, your destiny being above them, not only in standings, but with the head-to-head, the worst you could do is obviously tie them. You leave the cumulative score 98-74, and that's actually what I was watching for at the end of the game, is, you know, if people would start to get lax and Hamilton would get some, you know, give you points that might uh, come back to hurt in the long run, but it, it seems like in those defensive meetings, all you guys are talking about is getting starting quarterbacks up out the game because Dane Evans was pulled not once but twice uh, on two separate occasions for two separate quarterbacks. Um, he didn't fare well. But but let's give some love first before we talk about the Hamilton's QB situation 
to your defense. And you said last week, well, sometimes if the offense isn't moving the ball, we either need to go get it ourselves or score ourselves. Well, the defense did both, specifically <laughs> in the second half. Uh, give some love to your defense. Listen, first of all, let me start by saying this. I'm in a really good mood today. If you haven't noticed it already, DB, every win in the CFL matters, right? But none more than the double blue winning against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. So I'm going to start with that. But next, let's talk about that defense. Jamal Peters is a bad man. And I, I one of the things that I told him, I'm like, listen, you should have took you should have started coming out a little bit slower than what you did, but now you're probably not gonna get any balls thrown your side anymore. But this man, this young man, you know, came on our team since last year and he's been improving tremendously on a week to week basis. The way that he came out of training camp was amazing. He had a pick six in preseason. And, um, you know, we've all just been waiting for him to have the breakout game that he had last uh, this past week. I mean, three picks, one to the house. If you look at the, 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 the totality and the body of work that he's been putting up this season has been amazing. And it's been quiet, um, you know, as far as what he's been able to accomplish. But he is a real cornerback and he is a lethal uh, cornerback at that. And so we're excited to have him on our side and for him to have done what he did, three picks. I told him already, I'm like, listen, that was my dream that you were living. I was dreaming that if you ever do that again and you come in my dreams and take it from me and live it in real life, I'm going to have a problem with that. But, um, you know, he he was what you call in the zone. And, uh, you know, he had an amazing game. We had guys up front that were rushing the quarterback and, you know, Dane and Schiltz, whoever was at quarterback in Hamilton, was never really comfortable. And so, um, you know, we felt like the game plan was executed at a high level. And uh, I'll tell you what, too, as much as we talk about the defense, um, our offense as well uh, showed up. Uh, I mean, they showed up in the second half with some short field. In the first half, uh, let's just say uh, Adam Rita wasn't impressed with the offense. Wally Wano wasn't impressed with the offense. Uh, you know, Don Matthews wasn't impressed with the offense. Some of the great <laughs> offensive minds of CFL history were not impressed with the offensive output. But in the second half, certainly they got busy. And uh, Brandon Banks got a little busy. Uh, there you go. Evidently, um, you know, him and Macbeth were able to get on the same page. Uh, let's talk about Hamilton. Uh, because Matthew Schultz did have some success. Uh, against your, your your defense, and obviously he he left the game with a wrist injury, which put Dan Evans back in the game. I, I am somewhat perplexed at what's going on with Dan Evans because there are times where I'm watching the replay and saying, "Well, you you couldn't have read the field, like you 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 couldn't have got off one thing and got off that because you're you're not." You're not seeing anything. And I don't know if you remember uh, Sam Darnold. You know, he was mic'd up once you know, early in his career, and, and he said to a teammate, I'm seeing ghosts out there. When you, when you see flashes of people and you're just, you know, assuming and not actually reading. And, you know, one thing that, that you know, either quarterbacks were playing behind struggling offensive lines or great defensive lines can do to even the best, even a Tom Brady doesn't like pressure in his face, is make a quarterback see ghosts, feel phantom pressure, and most importantly, 
bring their eye level down. So you're not reading first, second, third level. You're looking at the rush and throwing and hoping someone is there. You know, it, it's almost like, you know, cause they made some great throws towards the end of the game when the game was essentially over. Um, and he's holding his pack and it's like, he's still hurt, but, but it's almost as if that talent is there, but for whatever reason, there's a disconnect between getting the ball from center and executing when you're five steps or seven steps, um, you know, back in the backfield, you know, does that happen in, in your, um, experience to a quarterback where, you know, they're, they're feeling things or seeing things that, that at times aren't actually there? A hundred percent, one thousand percent, and again, that's one of the reasons why these guys get paid the most money. They touch the balls, they touch the, the football the most, and they really have to deal with really the most, whether it's psychological, mental, um, you know, physical, everything that you can think about the fo- the game of football. They have to deal with it at a higher level all the time, and they and they're not exempt when we talk about the psychological aspect of things. And I think that it's a bigger thing than just thinking about the ghost that he's potentially seeing uh db now i i i will give his flowers to our defensive coordinator i think coach mace has been doing a great job you know this season evolving our defense to what it is today and obviously the last two games as a matter of fact if i'm not mistaken this is uh somebody told me this that we've had 10 turnovers in two games right and two games ago coach may sent the challenge out he said guys we've been playing good defense we need to play great defense if we really want to win we got to play great defense and the things that we need to do and 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 improve on is just that get more uh hands on these footballs and the last two games like i said 10 turnovers is amazing for a defense so i'll give him his flowers and he's doing an amazing job of um of disguising multiple things and you know uh, bringing five guys and making it look like it's six and uh, disguising things um, to a point where a lot of offensive, uh, you know, quarterbacks are confused. And which is the reason why you're seeing a lot of, you know, quarterbacks that we play against end up on the bench. Well, we'll see who is starting and who the backup is in Hamilton based off of play, also based off of health. I'm a, you know, always been a firm uh, believer outside of short yardage stuff. If you have two quarterbacks, that means you have none, uh, and that there needs to be one single voice, one cadence, one leader, uh, and, and show a faith to the entire team and fan base that this is someone you trust. Now, I don't know if you need to have the longest leash in the world, like Ryan Dinwiddie has, um, but but I think you need to show uh, you know faith in in your guy. And 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 listen, it, it's, it has worked out uh, in Toronto. Uh, Cody Fajardo was given another lease at life to, to continue to maintain his job. Uh, and he played well. His ninth career 300-yard game, the Riders win against BC, obviously facing a backup in Michael O'Connor, who also got hurt uh, in the course of the game. So continues to be musical chairs at the quarterback position for, for BC. And really, it's an epidemic across the league. But Fajardo is a guy who... Some former players have come out and said he's I, right, but he's not real. The fan base was growing tired and really saying, well, let's take a look at Mason Fine to see if he's in fact fine. But but Cody, you know, came out fighting, earned not only a, a win and you know continues to keep his job, but a big win when you look at the standings in the West and how everyone is starting to bunch up behind 
uh, Winnipeg and, and, you know, maybe the riders don't have to think about the crossover that might be able to surpass BC with the injury of Rourke and potentially catch Calgary who dropped another game in Winnipeg. Um, is it fair to say this was a Cody Fajardo statement game? Uh, a, a huge statement game, DB. And, and I'll say this. The quarterback position, I think, comes with a lot of scrutiny, right? Rightfully so. We talked about how much money they get. You know how much attention they get when they win. You know, usually, typically, you'll you're, you know you point out at the quarterback. But I'll say this: I think that sometimes the blame is put on the quarterbacks, and not necessarily for the right reasons. And I'm not over here trying to defend Cody Fajardo. I'm out. You know, I have no real ties to him, and I'm not a big fan of his. And as a matter of fact, I believe that he's one of the quarterbacks that likes to throw the ball to the opposite team to really to defensive meetings, um, you know, but I'll say this. He's the type of quarterback. He's the reason why he is where he is is because he's been taking chances all his career and it's gotten him to where he is right now. But one of the things that I saw in this past game is a more comfortable Cody Fajardo. I saw a lot of changes in that offense. When we played them, I remember there was a huge focus on running the ball. I mean, they've had they had had a lot of success up until that point running the ball, and they had specific formations. What they brought in, a, you know, two fullbacks, and you know, loaded up the box and found a way to get the ball uh, to the running backs, and they were having a lot of success. But now I saw a lot of success in that offense with a lot of changes that came into play. So I think there was a lot of it intro, introspective you know, studying that was happening. And Jason Moss changed a lot of different things. And that, whatever they they did to change on offense, made Cordy Fajardo a lot more comfortable. This is the reason why I'm here, DB. And I'm telling you right now that, to me, the biggest changes were the changes that happened outside of Cordy Fajardo as far as the, 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 the calling, the play calling, the formations, the sets, and all of that stuff. It made a lot of differences, and it changed so much for Cordy Fajardo that he was so comfortable. He had he was 19 for 21, and his best game, and he threw for more than 300 yards. His best game of the season by far. So whatever they did, they need to continue going forward if they want the Saskatchewan Rough Rider fans to continue and remain happy. And he did it against a real defense, a defense that you, know, you had been saying – uh, not only them, but their staff needs to get a little bit more credit uh, throughout the year. Uh, so it's a big win for Saskatchewan on the road in BC. Uh, Ottawa gets a big win on the road. And, and I was saying a week ago in the home and home between Edmonton and Ottawa, Lord, please don't have Edmonton win in Ottawa and Ottawa win in Edmonton. And these two teams be basically exactly where they were in the standings before split the series between the two of each other, but their home fans who have been ride or die through what's been a rough uh, last two years, didn't get a reason to cheer. And, of course, it's exactly what happened. Uh, Edmonton now 13 home game losing streak, one short of the record held by Ottawa. Um, their last home win was October 12, 2019. That's pre-pandemic. We weren't wearing masks the last time uh, <laughs> they had a home win. That's almost 11 uh, – that's almost – um, you know, uh, a career for, for, for some players. They're going to have to wait until week 14 for a chance to win at home. But we're talking about different coaches, different GMs, different players. But is there something to the fact that 
The media is talking about it. The fans are getting restless. That they're feeling, you know, less than at home when they're playing at home and potentially on the road when there's less distractions, more focus. They could be a freer football team, or are they just bad? And it just so happens to be the case that half their games are at home and they lose a lot of games. Period. I mean, to me, uh, from the outside looking in, I'm not in their locker room and I don't know exactly everything that's going on, but it's a lot of it has to do with figuring out what your identity is. And Ottawa, obviously, after losing the guy who was supposed to be the leader, the guy who was supposed to be the uh, the man to bring him to the promised land, Jeremiah Mazzoli, go out the way that he did, I think it hurt them more than people may even think. And, uh, you know, they've been trying to find a guy to come and be the leader and, 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 and you know, establish exactly who they are, figure out who they are, define and and and, and exactly – you know, decide who they're going to be for the remainder of the season. I don't know if they have that yet or if they've found that yet. Now, Coach LaPolice, um, you know, is is putting his faith. We talk about the importance of confidence that, you know, that the confidence of a coaching staff can have and the impact that it can have on a, on a quarterback. You know, they look like they're, they're looking to Nick Arbuckle and, um, you know, for him to have had a whole week of practice with the team and, to come out and do just enough to win, I think it's a boost in his confidence. And, um, you know, as well as the, 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 the team is going to rally behind him because, hey, look, they have not won often this year. And for them to have won with a guy who they, they could potentially trust in um, is going to be huge for them. So I think the biggest issue in Ottawa is defining, deciding exactly what identity they're going to maintain this year. And from there, you can have a starting point and continue to go forward. And so if Nick Carbuckle could be the guy that we saw behind Bo Levi Mitchell and, um, you know, rise up as a great leader, I think that they can turn things around now. Is it a little too little too late? That's still left to be seen. But I'll tell you what, Coach Lapo is going to do everything in his power and he's going to pull out all his tricks and utilize Caleb Evans to the best of his ability in order to bring this team to where they need to be. Yeah, Arbuckle, 21 of 33 for 219 yards. You know, not amazing, uh, but serviceable. Uh, you know, Taylor Cornelius has started to settle in uh, to that starting role in Edmonton. So we'll, we'll both we'll definitely see both guys as starters again this week. Both teams, Edmonton and Ottawa, going on the road. So they've got victories, you know, in, in their bag over the last two weeks. Uh, they now face some divisional opponents hoping to scratch back uh, into the playoffs. Why don't we transfer the conversation to uh, the games coming up this week? It's OK Tire Labor Day weekend. Before we break down the four games ahead of us, I need your player perspective. Hear it. What are the feelings, you know, some of the emotions around a rivalry game, uh, you know, wh- whether it's the fans um, or, you know, why the game, you know, means more to you. Is there a, a tangible difference to uh, the atmosphere when you're in one of those, uh, you know, Labor Day classic rivalry games? A hundred percent. I mean, there's, 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 there's not much like it when it comes to the regular season, right? It's probably the closest that you get to as far as playoff atmosphere. I mean, I'm saying this with all the respect in the world for every single game in the CFL, but 
when you play that rivalry game, when you're uh, Toronto playing in Hamilton or uh, Winnipeg playing in Saskatchewan and, 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 and whatever other rivalry you may think of, those games, the history that precedes those games and, um, you know, the, the, the stories that you hear and, you know, you see, you see things in the buildings, in the facility, and coaches tell you and remind you of the importance of the games. And, then, and not to mention, usually and typically when we talk about the Labor Day game, it's, it usually comes at a point in the season where those games mean a lot beyond just the fact that you want to win the game against your rivals. And so um, they're huge games, and they are probably the closest thing you can get to um, as far as playoff games in the regular season. Well, let's talk about, you know, the first one, Friday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Ottawa goes to Montreal. Now, this is, you know, probably the least famous, least acclaimed rivalry game that we have on Labor Day weekend. It isn't one like the others, which is a home-and-home series. I want it to be great. I want it to be amazing, especially because of the proximity of the two towns. But when you look at it historically, one, both teams have never really been good at the same time. There's been a long stretch of time where one of the teams did not have a team, so there's that. Uh, But even when you look at the cities, you know, Ottawa and Montreal, you'd think they'd have rivalry as a town, but they don't really. You know, Montreal is the place where people from Ottawa go to party. Uh, Ottawa is the place where people from Montreal go to work. But they don't have the, the rivalry in terms of a town like uh, a, a Toronto and a Hamilton or a Edmonton and a Calgary. It, you obviously played on one side of this battle for Montreal. Um, well, we need a name. This is going to be the Ottawa River, River rivalry. What, what are we going to call this? Um, Parliament versus poutine? Like, how are we going to do this? But also, do, do you see, you know, a, a potential future in, in what this rivalry is. Because well, I would love to get to a place where every Labor Day, Ottawa's playing Montreal back to back, home and home. Obviously, Winnipeg and Saskatchewan are keeping that the same. Toronto, Hamilton, Edmonton, Calgary are keeping that the same. And then we got BC and a team from the Maritimes going cross-country, uh, you know, back-to-back weeks. I would love for that, uh, you know, a coast-to-coast matchup. But is there hope for this rivalry to grow and get to the level of the other ones? You know what, DB? Uh I think so. I think I think there's there's lots of hope. One, just the fact that these games are meaningful. These games mean a lot. Um, and the more that these games continue to happen, you talk about the fact that the Ottawa Red Blacks have just recently come back, and uh, uh, these games are con- going to continue to happen at this stage of the season where these games are going to mean a lot more. Now, we got to be honest, DB. These rivalries and both games, I remember, can I give you a little bit of story time? 2011, when I get drafted, I'm playing in Winnipeg, and I didn't know. I was fresh. My breath was still smelling like Similac, like my daughter's breath right now, and I didn't know what was going on. And the season started, and I'm trying to pick up on the CFL and everything that's going on, and you're doing interviews, and you're playing. There's a lot of challenges and lots going on until we go and play the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and the air just completely changed, right? But I had no idea. And then all of a sudden, after the game, I started hating anything green. But it was because of the history that I kind of was uh, uh, really told about. And I started to learn more and more. And I said, hey, I hate the writers. And that just became what it was. But the thing about it is, 
I didn't even know why I hated the, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, but I hated them and I hated them for the time that I played there. And if you live in Winnipeg, you hate the Riders and that's just what it is. And a lot of people don't even know the reason why or where it stemmed from and, and how the history came about, but they just hate them. My point is this, these rivalries take time and there's a lot of things that happen that need to happen are actually that happen organically, that must happen organically and that can only come with time and these opportunities and challenges and games that happen um, around this time of year. And so to me, when you talk about the hope between the the rivalry between the Montreal Alouettes and the Ottawa Redbacks, I think that there is a lot of hope for a great rivalry to be um, between those two teams, whether you and I, DB, are still doing this podcast and get to talk about it is another uh, discussion for another day. But I'm very hopeful that soon, hopefully really soon, we're able to see whether it's, you know, uh, something that happens between two players or, you know, fans saying something about other fans and it catches fire and it just sticks, which, you know, usually typically is what starts some great rivalries. I'm hopeful that it'll happen, and, um, you know, I'm looking forward to that day. Well, great rivalries need a name, so our listeners help us out. What should we name it? What should we call it? Uh, We need this rivalry to pop up. Uh, No help needed for Winnipeg versus Saskatchewan. Both games uh, are are massive. Uh, The first one in Saskatchewan starts 6 p.m. Eastern uh, on Sunday. You know, Enoch, you know this game well. As you mentioned, you played uh, in it. Saskatchewan is on a wave right now. Got Kieran Moore, got Shaq Evans, could be peaking. They got a, a big home game. You know, I think, you know, if Winnipeg is going to drop, uh, you know, a game between now and the end of the year, this might be it. Um, you know, what do you make of, of, of this matchup? It's going to be a great matchup. I mean, again, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to be tested when it comes to their level of. Uh, comfortability that they're at in, at this point in the season. And we keep talking about the fact that they're back-to-back champs. Are they tired of hearing that? Are they too comfortable? This is a question that they have to answer week in and week out. And obviously, with the record, they've been doing a great job of, of uh, proving everybody wrong outside of Winnipeg. Now, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are a team that need to turn things around if they want to see or smell what playoff football is going to be like in 2022 and so it's an important game it's a huge game Cody Fajardo coming back coming off of one of his best his best game of the season and you mentioned they're loaded up they're bringing their guys back and they seem like like I talked about earlier things have changed when it comes to play calling I always love when a offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator uh, puts his pride aside and says hey look I know what I like to call but I need to make things different. I need to call things differently in order to give you the success. And that's what it seems like Jason Moss has done in Saskatchewan. And so I want to see what he's going to be able to do against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in this game, in this rivalry game, and very extremely meaningful game for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Well, the one in Hamilton on Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, is extremely meaningful. Uh, Toronto goes to Hamilton, obviously. And to me, the Labor Day game is a, is a full sensory scratch and sniff experience. Walking up to the stadium, you smell the, the bratwurst and the pole sausages. You smell the pierogies. You, you, quite frankly, you, you can smell and see the beer 
everywhere. It, for some reason, it is always a beautiful day. There's never a weather issue. Uh, and it's always uh, a game where there's like one or two or three fights, both in the stands and on the field. Uh, I, I, now, this year is unique because, you know, sometimes that might be the, the first or second time these two teams have met each other going down to the stretch run. This will be four of four. So, you know, that, that contempt has, has built up. I would argue that this one means more than the previous three, that it counts for two or three. And even though Hamilton could potentially tie the season series, if, if they win this game, they've got the bragging rights, they've got the conch until you potentially meet again in the playoffs. You are going to be on the field. Uh, is that a fair assessment? Uh, I, I think you're totally right. I feel uh, as though, first of all, there's no hype necessary. There's no hype needed. And I want to put out another, uh, my last warning to my dad, who has been going absolutely nuts in the stands. I'm okay with you doing that in the comfort of the suite, the family and friends suite at BMO Field. But when we go to Hamilton, Dad, just let's calm down. He's going to be listening to this. Um, this is your last warning, Jermaine. Um, so, <laughs> you know, if anything happens, in the, don't make me run up in the stands. Don't make me run up in the stands. It's just not going to be good for me. It's not going to be good for you in the papers, in the media. I don't even know if I'll still be able to do this anymore with DB. So um, let's – I'm going to try and ask him. This is my last warning to him to behave in the stands because um, he's a huge Argos fan, and we know how the Ticats fans are as well. But we talk about the lack of uh, a hype that this game um, needs. It means a lot for both sides. And, you know, we, we talk about, we understand exactly where we stand in the, in, in, at this stage in the season, the standings, and how much it means for us to win, to continue to separate ourselves as the first, the team that is number one in the East um, from the rest of the, the teams. And so we understand where Montreal stands. We understand how Ottawa seems to think that, you know, there's a possibility that they can sneak into the playoffs. And obviously, Hamilton being there, wanting to obviously uh, uh, get in the playoffs as well. And so we know how much it means. And if we are going to Hamilton, we understand that winning that game is going to push us ahead and is going to give us a level of comfort that uh, not necessarily we, we were looking for, but we know that we deserve. And so for us to lose a game in Hamilton in such a meaningful, beyond the rivalry itself, um, we know that it's a game that we have left to, uh, that we gave away. And so respectfully, we believe and feel like um, it's a game that, you know, we're going to go, it's really for us to lose. Well, you know, I'm going to take up for Jermaine a little bit and say, <laughs> last time I checked, they have suites at Tim Hortons Field. Like, you know, Canadian linebackers don't work for free. You can put a little money down, make sure Jermaine can have all the refills he needs, all the snacks he needs, uh, see the replays on TV, but also be in the friendly confines, a nice air-conditioned suite. At least Dang, you can do you can drive 15 minutes down the road to see his son play. So no, I'm saying, <laughs> you know, put him on a patio, if not a suite. Give my guy some. Don't make him sit in the stands to hear an Oski Wee chants the, the entire Two game. So, yeah, you need Two to take things. care of Jermaine. Two things. Jermaine is in the suite, but he's yelling at guys in the stands. Jermaine likes the action. <laughs> Jermaine wants to be where the action is at. 
but two, I might have to consider that now. And thanks to you now, it's going to be my one of my daughters that's going to have to drink less milk. Go ahead, DB. I hope you feel better about yourself. <laughs> as long as Jermaine's happy. Um, listen, uh, there, there's no love loss in the Edmonton and Calgary rivalry. Uh, Monday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, the last of uh, OK Tire Labor Day weekend. Um, no, Edmonton, I mean, has, has been better on the road than they've been at home. You can't be worse than they've been at home. Uh, but new quarterback, you know, you know, Jake Mayer, another high-profile game. Hey, hey, guess what? You might be the, the new face of the franchise. You're going to start off with the defending champs, two-time defending champs. Then you're going to come back home uh, for a Labor Day Classic against our rival. Uh, don't uh, mess it up. You know, these teams always play each other. Uh, Labor Day, they're not as close in the standings this year. But, you know, for me, in these types of games, you throw the records out. Uh, Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, look, DB, this is another rivalry that maybe isn't at the caliber of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders or the Double Blue and the Black and Yellow. But I'll tell you what, this game has a lot of pressure. You talk about Bo Levi on the sideline. You talk about Jake Meyer, you know, starting another game and uh, the pressure, no pun intended, um, that he will be feeling because pressure is just what Chris Jones is going to be dialing up. I mean, he'll be throwing everything in the kitchen sink at him to make sure and test to find out exactly if he is that guy. And so um, he is going to do that. These are two teams that are trying to establish exactly who they are in the West. And Edmonton is probably still hopeful um, to be able to, you know, find a way and sneak into the playoffs. And uh, uh, Chris Jones is not the guy that's going to quit on any season. And so Jake Meyer is going to have his hands full. And he knows that, hey, if I'm not going to be productive, all the previous quarterbacks that replaced the former uh, greats, they did that and they were able to hold on to their jobs because they were winning. And so this is a huge game for Jake Meyer, but at the same time, it is not going to be any comfortable uh, back there with the Chris Jones defense coming at him. Well, I actually, you know, was in Calgary earlier this year uh, doing some reporting on a hockey story and they had recently beaten uh, the Oilers. uh, And then right after that, they lost the Avalanche. And I was talking to, you know, a lady who works uh, in the arena. You know, she, she works elevators. And she's like, oh, we lost the Avalanche. But it doesn't matter because we beat the Oilers. And that's the mentality. <laughs> Edmonton and Calgary, the two big cities uh, in Alberta, you know, you, you just don't want to lose to that other team, that other town. You want to make sure you beat them. Now, remember, there's history, not even just in this sport. There's history, period, in the, the NHL playoffs. The lower-seeded Edmonton Oilers upset the higher-seeded Calgary Flames. And so now you got a, an Edmonton Elks team that is lower-seeded looking to upset a higher-seeded Calgary team. Calgary looking for some city revenge. So we'll see how that plays out. You let us know. Can we get a name for the rivalry game that we're trying to build up? Ottawa versus Montreal. Uh, can we get from you, the fans, what is the best rivalry of the four? Really, of the three, we kind of know that, that there's three that are at a different level uh, than the rest. And what will you be looking for? More importantly, what do you want to hear moving forward? Always like, always favorite, always share, and continue to subscribe. Uh, I'm Donovan Bennett. 
Uh, he's Enoch Mwamba. Thanks so much for listening. I'm actually looking forward to these names that are going to be coming out, man. <laughs> All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. <laughs>